0: All right, welcome to this month's episode of Conservation Conversations. I'm Sean O'Brien, president and CEO of NatureServe. And I'm super excited this month to have Dudley Edmondson with me. Uh, Dudley sort of has my dream job. Uh, don't, tell my, don't tell my board that. Um, but when I was growing up, I always wanted to be a wildlife photographer and uh, I didn't see the path. And so we're gonna find out how Dudley managed to navigate that path and become a kind of, successful wildlife photographer. Dudley is also an author um, and has written a book, Black and Brown Faces in America's Wild Places, which is quite interesting. And I'm going to ask you about a couple things in there. And you have uh, done a number of other things that we're going to just sort of get to as we go through the conversation, uh, because I think that's a much more fun way to get to know you than for me to just monologue about you when you're right here and you can talk about yourself.
1: Yeah, no, that sounds perfect thanks for having me
0: yeah it's uh, it's great that you're here um so we're going to do the opposite of what i want to talk about um, okay in one of your um essays you wrote about silence and the mm. first time you experienced true silence and we're going to talk instead of experience silence in this situation but I, I wanted you to just revisit that moment because i think that's it's so rare in the world today to ever be in a place that's truly quiet.
1: Yeah. You know, I mean, and for me, a kid uh, growing up in, in Columbus, Ohio, hustle bustle kind of town, um, you know, I really wasn't accustomed to spaces that didn't have man-made sound or, or, or any sound of any kind. And so, um, you know, as a as a young person, I was just really kind of felt like I didn't really belong in an urban space. Um, Once I discovered nature as a, a small child and that sort of therapeutic piece that's part of it in terms of it, your mental and physical health is just improved by, you know, immersing yourself in the natural world on a regular basis. And so, you know, I got this sort of wander what wanderlust, whatever you want to call it, but uh just wanted to to move around and, and be in spaces and experience new things and uh new types of of habitat and environment. And so um I drove out to to Badlands National Park um in, in South Dakota mm-hmm. and uh in that space uh which was very different from Columbus, Ohio. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You know, all the all the dried buttes and and every so somewhat arid uh landscape. And and I recall, you know, some some point getting out of the car and and walking in and amongst the buttes. And and then I, you know, and I stopped. And then I noticed all I could hear was my own heart beating, and it freaked me out for a split second. And and at first, you know, I remember putting my my fingers in my ears to confirm what I was hearing. Uh, so and then I took them out and and that's what it was. It was almost like somebody had, you know, basically hit the mute button to nature. Right. Uh, and and all I could hear was my own heart. And it it was a very liberating thing, but it also made me hungry to be in spaces like that more and more.
0: Yeah, and what's interesting is in that situation, you were in a landscape that didn't have a lot of insects and birds, obviously. Mm -hmm. But even to be able to be in a space where all you hear are insects and birds and the rustling of animals in the undergrowth or whatever um, is so rare. And I know you're a person who can uh, identify birds by ear. And so being in a place where you didn't even hear a bird that you could go, oh, I got that one. Must have been really interesting.
1: Yeah, I mean, and one of my favorite types of habitat really is prairie. Uh, uh, even though I live in you know here in northern Minnesota, just a, a couple hundred miles south of the Canadian border, it's mostly boreal forests and big lakes. Mm-hmm. But uh, western Minnesota has has quite a bit of prairie habitat, and on on prairies, that's that's one of the things uh, that is a good thing to hear is is insects and birds, particularly insects. If you're not hearing insects on the prairie, then you know, there's a particularly June, July, there's a major problem because those insects are such a huge part of the ecosystem, feeding all the birds, uh, nesting birds and things that are there. Um and uh, you know, part of the vegetation as well. But but they're special places to be because I think that the average human being doesn't get a chance to experience that. And I feel like it changes you, it it gives you a sense of you know, a perspective of what you mean and you know, sort of who you are in the world. And it also makes you feel really small and insignificant, which for some people that might might hurt, but for <laughs> me, it, it felt great, Uh, you know. It's an some, important experience to have. It's a very important experience to have. And, and the, you
0: mentioned yeah. earlier about um, sort of the mental health benefits of being out in nature. And mm-hmm. uh, I know you talk about that in other, other places. Uh, and how that was something that you did when you were younger, even though you didn't we hadn't studied it yet to know that going out into nature was going to be good for you. Um, and so that that experience, I think, probably was pretty special. And it's one that, you know, as we think about uh, parks, park lands and wilderness areas and places that people can go uh, around the world to experience nature, that uh, is super important. And then, of course, access to those places is really important.
1: Yeah, I mean, access to green space, whether people know it or not, is super, I think is super important to to one's mental health. And whether it's urban green space or quote unquote wilderness, um, in any of that is is really good for the mind. I think sometimes I think people don't even know why they like the colors blue and green, why they have a lake cabin, why they like being on the ocean. I mean, it's like, I think people don't understand that that is just part of who you are as an organism living on planet earth, uh, that you would find these places to be, you know, pleasant and, 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 and restorative, but most people don't really acknowledge or realize that, that, that is part of a connection to nature. And I think it's, just part of of being a, an organism on
0: planet earth, really. Yeah. Um, and you know, that connection is really interesting. I went on a hike last summer in the Olympic Peninsula up this rather rugged terrain that was several mm-hmm. miles and it was not an easy climb. But you get to the top and there's this beautiful landscape, not unlike what's behind you, with a with a lake and mm-hmm. you can see out into the sound and there's mountains. And I was looking around at the people and I was like, all of these people just did something really, really hard just so they could look at this scene. There's right. no other return on that investment other than looking at that scene. And they're all but like quiet and watching and just sort of looking and being in this space together. And it was, it was sort of magical and it made me think about the desire that you were just expressing about to go to beaches and to look at big expanses of water and to see large landscapes and, uh, Thinking about what that means as humans and why it's so important that we have natural places and that everyone feels welcome in these natural places is an important part of it.
1: Yeah, I mean, the welcome piece is 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 definitely super important, particularly as we move move into a a future of, uh, you know, the the population demographics in America constantly changing. Um, and uh, I mean, already white youth under the age of 18 are a minority in the United States, and that number is con- going to continue to change. And as as people of colors, you know, numbers continue to grow, I think that it's important for up and coming uh, populations and groups of people to feel that sense of ownership about public lands or indigenous lands in order for people, to be good stewards, they have to have a connection to those spaces, a sense of ownership, and feeling um, as though you know they're they're part of of who they are. And uh, th- those are things I think that oftentimes with, within white families, those things get passed down over generations. And I think that uh, for families of color, those are traditions that w- we will have to continue in order to be able
0: to uh, be able to appreciate uh, those those spaces right and it was remarkable in your book uh, the number of stories of people um, talking about being in what we sometimes refer to as wilderness and Mm -hmm. i was thinking about how uh, for many of the people you interviewed in the book wilderness was a scary place and it was wild right right for me growing up, wilderness was an exciting place to go and to see really amazing things. And for other cultures, say uh, indigenous people, Native Americans, it's just home. It's right. not wilderness. This is just where, where we live. This is where my people are from. Right. And so it's really thinking about the different ways that one word impacts just three of the kinds of groups of people that we have, never mind, you know, every other uh, way that we can slice and dice our population, um, really makes it interesting to think about how do we make our natural spaces welcoming to the most people possible, so that everyone can have the opportunities that you've been talking about.
1: Yeah, I mean, how how do we manage them in, in the future? Um, you know, uh, are things going to be different? Uh, uh, sometimes with people of color, we prefer to you know recreate in large groups uh we're not the soloist types that uh you know generally speaking that that uh, I mean and I don't want to speak for every group but I'm just of saying course. what I know about about uh you know at least my my group of folks is that you know we tend to love to do things at you know in whole families multiple generations of people which is kind of different from sometimes the way that things uh public lands have been managed and and facilities you know are are available um you know not necessarily always for large groups of people so that's you know something to to take into consideration uh in the future as as our population demographics shift so absolutely
0: yeah, yeah. in your um PBS segment you talked about um being out in nature and how it made you feel when you closed your eyes and uh, you described it as a feeling of freedom and in um, Black and Brown Faces in America's Wild Places, uh, the word liberty came up. And I thought that was a really interesting uh, concept. And I just wanted to have you talk a little bit about like that sense of freedom that you have when you were in that moment uh, with your eyes closed out in nature. Yeah.
1: You know, I mean, I think part of it. Uh, comes from I know as as a person of color in the United States of America um liberty and freedom doesn't necessarily I don't think uh that people of color have the same level of liberty and freedom as white people do I feel like our liberty and freedom is subject to the opinions of of white America of of what what freedoms we actually are allowed to have. I mean, even the Civil Rights Act, Voting Rights Act, I mean, those are all things that have to be um, talked about and discussed again. And and so I feel like that um, the sense of freedom for, at least for me, is being in a space where I don't feel like there's any kinds of the 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 rules and regulations and the structures that come from uh, urban spaces uh, don't really matter in that in that space. I mean, this photo behind me I took in in Cascades National Park a number of years ago, and I feel like in that space I have way more freedom than I do walking down the street of in in Manhattan or. You know, Washington, D.C. I'm not being judged in the space behind me. Uh, I don't feel as though I have to perform or be a certain kind of person a friendly Black person, a person that doesn't intimidate or threaten white people. Mm -hmm. Uh, That in the space that you see behind me, I have the freedom to just be me. But if I'm in an urban space, in and around people, I have to be something else. Uh, That causes a level of stress for people of color. So
0: really interesting and really powerful. Um, And perhaps before we go off into some lighter topics, I just want to acknowledge that, you know, when I'm listening to you talk, I'm becoming acutely aware of the sort of privilege that I've had to not have those feelings that you're talking about where in most spaces that I go to, I don't have a sense of, I need to do certain things to be accepted or to have people not say things to me that would be horrible for them to say, or to do things to me that would be horrible for them to do. And, um, um, just, I always want to acknowledge that I'm aware of that. And one of the things that's so great about talking with you and having read through the stories of the people in your book is developing that awareness and that understanding so that we can work together to figure out how to make natural spaces in all spaces. But, you know, we're, we're here talking about nature, natural spaces, more welcoming and more open to a broader range of the of people.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, and and I appreciate you acknowledging that. It, it's the kind of thing, I mean, it's, it's part of really systemic racism in America makes it so that people of color, nearly just about everything, any privileges, or if you even want to call them that, any rights that we have are all subject to what White America believes that we should have
0: right. given you know, to you as opposed to presumed it, to be self-inherent. It, exactly. And yeah. and and at
1: times I feel like white people's sense of freedom is the ability to be able to determine other people's freedoms. That so being that sense of freedom is that I get to determine. What your freedoms are. So that's that's my freedom mm-hmm. as a white person. I'm saying that that to me is is in a nutshell what it is. And for people of color, I feel like our freedoms. We understand that they're more or less. um you know, uh, up for debate almost on a regular basis. I mean, even the things the country's going through right now, I mean, you're seeing how this redistricting things are being done, removing uh, Black people's, um, you know, right to vote uh, in in certain Southern states and things. But, yeah, I mean, in a nutshell, I feel like for white people, that is freedom. Your your freedom is you get to decide what my freedom is.
0: Right. That is... So interesting. And for people who know a little bit about my background, I used to work at the home of James Madison. It's called Montpelier in Virginia and Mm. uh, therefore have thought a lot about uh, the Constitution and the writing of the Constitution and the Bill of Rights and what that means in terms of um, the structure of America and the kinds of things that we're talking about right now, which are um, kind of a different, (laughs) different topic. But really important topic when we're thinking about um conservation of of places and i'm thinking also so you're just a just a tiny bit older than me um yeah because I, I looked at your year the year you were born yeah um, and what that means though is that you have been on the leading edge in a lot of places that you've been in terms of being a person of color who's a wildlife photographer who yeah. is an expert birder and is going into all of these remote places that's uh, you know despite some of the amazing uh, stories of people in the past you're you're on that leading edge of people seeing oh look there's an african-american man out here
1: yeah right yeah and that has been you know something in the past you know uh, people taking pictures of me because I'm in a space which and I'm I'm there as a photographer photographing wildlife and people are photographing me because I'm a black man in in a wilderness space. Um and you know, my philosophy has always been I belong where I choose to be. And that is something I've lived by most of my adult life. Uh once I started to wander around uh the country, I mean, most of my early trips, um, you know, when I lived in Columbus, we're almost always to the East Coast, Chesapeake Bay, going to see, um, you know, my bird migration in the fall. Um, and, you know, I found myself in in spaces where people were like looking at me like, you know, and this was back in the early 80s. Mm-hmm. You know, people were looking at me like I didn't belong. But it's like, hey, I, you know, there's ruddy turnstones here. There's red knots. I'm here to see the birds. and You know, if you don't like me being here, then that's a problem you will have to figure out. But right now I've got to go look at these birds. So good luck.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So I like that. I've got to go look at these birds because I'm really curious how you discovered that it was possible to be a wildlife photographer and then that could be a career and how you actually made that happen. Because I think that that's a really challenging thing to do to be successful at.
1: Yeah, I mean, I feel like I got super lucky. I I mean, I I originally wanted—I thought I wanted to be a wildlife biologist. I thought I wanted to be a game warden. You know, all of these different things that um, I wanted to be able to make a living in, uh, you know, and stay connected to the natural world and things. But I realized that I just at some point I figured I'd end up at with a desk job in some administration position. and I kind of also kind of just hated math. Uh, so <laughs> to be honest, and and I figured with being a scientist or whatever, at some point you're going to get hit over the head with some heavy math. Uh, and, and I wasn't <laughs> wanting to have that concussion. So I just decided that it would be a lot easier to make a career path. And I chose wildlife photography because it gave me the opportunity to both be creative as well as uh, having a connection to the natural world, yeah. and so I just you know I pursued it. It was all in the early days. It was all about birds of prey, um, and and then um, you know in eighty nine ninety I moved to Minnesota uh, to you know to put serious roots down as as a wildlife photographer. And at Duluth, Minnesota, where I am now, is that seemed like the best place to be. Um, because there's so much wild spaces and public land here. Uh, I mean, even in my little suburban neighborhood, I mean, I know there's a wolf pack uh, that, you know, probably takes care of the area. I've had bald eagles in my front yard or backyard and front yard, bears sitting on my front steps, black bears eating out of my bird feeder that it ripped off of the Post, you know, uh, fox, both gray and reds. So it just feels like this is where I belong. You know, in a space where uh, I can I have easy access to nature. Uh, yeah. But even then, it, you know, it took me four or five years before I actually got my real opportunity to be a nature photographer, and that was working with my friend Stan to, uh, Stan Tequila, who uh, writes a number of bird books. Uh, And books in general. I mean, he's written literally hundreds of books at this point in his life. Um, But Birds of Minnesota was the first book we worked on. And at that time, he wasn't a photographer. And so he hired me to photograph his books. And so he wrote that he and I would travel, he would write, I would photograph. And eventually I taught him how to, you know, to be a good photographer. And now that's, you know, a major part of, of what he does these days is is quite a bit of photography, but uh, so that he gave me my 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 real break uh, in in nature photography, and you know we worked together for for many years working on those books and 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 so I kind of at that time I was kind of working with him, and now the tables have turned; he's working with me. I do video production work uh, for clients, and he works with me as our sound. Uh, engineer yeah. and our drone pilot so nice. so that's kind of how it it turned
0: <laughs> and you're um at some point in your career you sort of went from strict wildlife photography into sort of backcountry adventure type of work and now your videography is what are you what are you focusing on there
1: yeah i mean uh m- most of the work i do these days i working on projects now i just finished a, a couple of films. Uh, I did a shot last year. I went to the Arctic Circle with a bunch of folks and we shot a a fly fishing. Uh, It's it's a combination, a film called Black Waters that will premiere in August in in Portland. Uh, And it's a a film about five black fly fishermen fishing in the Arctic, uh, but also talking about blackness, black male masculinity. It's a, it's a, a really interesting film. Um, and, uh, just shot and edited that. Um, and so most of my, um, projects still deal with wilderness or with the outdoors, with people of color, but yeah, my, my work, my film work is a lot of conservation stuff. I've done a lot of stuff for the nature conservancy, national park service, uh, U S fish and wildlife service, you know, any, any of the initiatives and things that they do. Right. So, uh, but yeah. It's
0: so, a hobby and, hobby. well, Dudley, what else do you want um, people to know about nature and the making nature a welcoming space for everyone? Um, and I want to give you a chance to sort of, because you clearly have thought about these things a lot and spent time writing about them. And so, I want to give you a little moment to use a soapbox and yeah. uh, talk about the things that you really were passionate about
1: yeah you know I mean one of the first things that comes to mind really is is the importance of of pollinators and plants really uh for me those are uh things that most people don't think about the fact that one in three bites of food they eat on a daily basis is made possible by by pollinators mm-hmm. and you know when I see, all of these you know, ads and products for killing insects. Uh, it just makes me sad to think that people don't realize how important insects are to their daily lives. I mean, there's no one that's ever probably lived on this planet that the food that they ate wasn't made possible by insects and, and plants uh, because I, I tell people all the time is that you either eat the plant or you eat the animal that eats the plant. That's <laughs> exactly. the only way you will ever get it. you uh, until humans can face the sun and 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 turn uh that energy into sugar and 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 you know, the whole thing that uh that that plants do, uh, then we will always be dependent upon plants and pollinators.
0: That is a great message. Um Pollinators are incredibly challenged in the world today, and as you indicated, we're, we're completely dependent on them for our survival. And so, uh, NatureServe spends a lot of time uh, working with different agencies and different organizations on tracking and understanding the threats and the challenges facing pollinators because yeah. it, it is real and it's very real. Many of the things you talked about with pesticides and all are just making it worse and habitat yeah. transformation. So, so I have one last question for you, and that yeah. is about um, sort of legacy. So, hmm. your, what do you want your, you know, your grandchildren or your grand nieces and nephews or someone from a future generation to say that Dudley Edmondson was able to contribute to the world?
1: Yeah, you know, I mean, he, he that he was a, a a giving person, a sharing of of knowledge and 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 uh you know helping people i i i there are a number of young men around the country who think of me that are not related to me but they think of me as an uncle or a dad uh and that's lovely uh, you know because i we've spent time together and i've worked with them uh and helped them you know at their request to 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 do things and you know the thing I try to instill in all of them is that you have an obligation now to go help someone else. Uh, and very recently, one young man who lives in LA now um, reached out to me, left a message uh, thanking me for having been there for him, you know, and helped him, you know, figure out some things as as a as a black male in America you know, while in, you know, while he was graduating from high school in his early years of college and everything. And he said, you know, it was something he hadn't thought about until a young man asked him very recently how he became the person he became. And he said, there was this guy back in Minnesota named Dudley who mentored me. And so now he realizes that now he's, Going to become a mentor to this young man, and and so it's like, I guess maybe 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 that's it. Just just that you know, I I feel like I have an obligation to be, uh, to pass on my knowledge and experience and skills or whatever to n- new generations of, of of young men of color, uh, specifically. Part of this is also you now you now you have a responsibility to do the same thing I'm doing for you. You have to do that in the future, because if you don't, you're a jerk. (laughs) (laughs) That's basically what I tell them. I say, (laughs) if you don't pass your knowledge forward like I'm passing to you, you're a jerk. You know, And and whether that has an effect on them or not, I don't know. But but it's like it just seems like it's the right thing to do. For sure yeah. uh, and and that's what I feel like what I'm doing is is the right thing to do.
0: And you're working on that actually somewhat specifically with the fellowship program, is that right?
1: Well, no no, the fellowship program is uh, is a, a program that is designed to to give a stipend to to students of color who want to pursue environmental education mm-hmm. uh, careers. Uh, and that's—I mean—it's been a number of years since that was established, and um, you know, it's not something I'm directly involved with. It, it's a um, a friend of mine uh, with the Greater Seattle YMCA uh, sort of asked me, and decided he wanted to name it in, in my honor. And and it was interesting. I've met some of the fellows uh, of a of a you know one class, and they said that you're not a dead old white man. And I was like, you know, typically, you know, and these are all obviously students of color, but, you know, when someone had, something has someone's name in it, typically it's attached to a philanthropic dead white guy. Yeah, And uh, so there I was, uh, and we had a a little laugh about that, but. uh,
0: (laughs) The old pale male and frail. Yeah, yeah, Um,
1: yeah. So it was, uh, so that, yeah, it, it does have, some some components there that that could be be helpful in in the future, but yeah, I just I don't know. I just think that that we're currently it just feels like a loop to yeah. me as I'm watching it.
0: It it is exciting to see young people coming, young people of color coming into the field, and mm-hmm. seeing more people um, interested in the field who are uh, come from diverse backgrounds. They're not not just white people. Yeah, uh, like me. Um, and I think that's a that's exciting and it's gonna change the conversations a lot because people will be coming in with different perspectives and different ways of thinking about things, and we'll have mm-hmm. more creative solutions, we'll have solutions that you know people like me never would have thought of. Um, and so I think it's it's an exciting time. Um and I want to thank you for uh, being on the show this month. Yeah, and also for all that you're doing for raising awareness and understanding and play, paying it forward into future generations. I think that's awesome. Yeah. And uh, if people are interested in Dudley's work, they can find you online at DudleyEdmondson.com. Right. Yep. Is there any other way that they should find you online?
1: Uh, my Instagram um, is also uh, probably where most of my new, you know, things are going to be. I mean.
0: Great. Well, we hope. We hope you get more followers from uh, from talking with us here today. Yeah. And uh, I want to thank everyone for listening to Conservation Conversations this month. Um, NatureServe is a nonprofit organization, and we're uh, welcoming of donations to the organization to support the work we do to protect biodiversity and talk about issues like we were talking about today with Dudley. And of course, um, you're always welcome to rate the podcast on whatever podcast platform you listen to. Um, It helps with um, awareness and visibility of the show for other users and other listeners. So uh, thanks for listening. And thanks again to Dudley. I hope that uh, I get to come up to uh, your neck of the woods sometime in the next couple of years and, and go out and look at birds with you.
1: Yeah. You're welcome anytime.
0: Awesome. Thanks so much.